the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pernellis Park. Paul is saying, follow me because there are other people who want you to follow them. Now, you need to know about these other people because they're out there. What are they like? Well, let's look back in Philippians and we'll look at verse 18. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping. I'm, I'm crying over this that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. What's the real truth about these people? They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, why did Paul call them that? Because they deny the sufficiency of the cross. God has no answer to the sin problem apart from the cross. It's not that God cannot think of another answer to the sin problem. It's just that since the wage for sin is death, only the Lord Jesus Christ has the wherewithal to pay our debt in such a way that we can still live. I could decide to pay my sin debt myself, but then I would be dead and unable to enjoy being debt-free. Trusting in Christ and Christ alone is the only way that we can stand before God. We're glad to have you with us today for another Verse by Verse. Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff is taking us one verse at a time through Chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel, a position he has held since 1981. These daily radio Bible classes are a natural extension of his teaching ministry. Today's lesson is the middle part of a three-part message that will conclude the chapter. If you're following in your Bible, please turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. In these last verses of chapter 3, we will find the solution to something that has led countless people astray. Religion offers comfort, or sometimes fear, but it does not offer a solution to the sin problem. It only offers detours that lead to destruction. Now, here's Pastor Steve to share with us what the Bible has to say about the cure for religion. So Paul is saying, follow my example. Throw away religion, come to Christ, understand that Christianity is about Jesus. In verse 10, he says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If you follow the example of Paul, you'll follow a man who built on that knowledge by wanting to know Christ better, wanting victory in his own life, and wanting to fellowship with the Lord Jesus as a result of his suffering. And also you would, you would follow and find in him a man who desperately wanted to be like Christ and was pressing towards the mark of of maturity. Let me tell you what the principle is. The way to avoid falling into any theological error or any kind of system that says you need us to function properly is to keep your eyes on Christ and fellowship with him. It's so basic, but it is so critical. Fellowship with Jesus Christ. People who know the Lord and then fall into cults or false doctrines, or anything that claims to make them better and that they need this and they have to be whole coming out of this is pe are people who have just gotten out of fellowship with Christ. They've gotten their eyes off of the Lord. They may have been very active in church. 
They may have uh, held all kinds of positions, but Christ was no longer the center of their lives. They may have been very, very busy in the Lord's work, but not necessarily busy with the Lord. Let me show you a whole church that was characterized by that. In Revelation chapter 2, in Revelation chapter 2, you meet some people like this. The whole church is characterized by this. Revelation 2, verses 2 through 4. This is the church at Ephesus. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Now, isn't that a good church? Wouldn't you want to be like in a church like that? Uh, notice what he says, your, your deeds, you're busy, you're toiling, you persevere, you can't endure evil men, uh, you deal with church discipline, you, you put the test, uh, test those who call themselves apostles, you're, you're sound in your theology, when they're false, you don't let them in the church, you've persevered, you've endured, you've handled suffering, but notice this, verse 4, but I have this against you, you've left your first love, you've left your first love. They were active and busy and theologically sound, but they're out of fellowship with Christ. Isn't that sad? Out of fellowship with Christ. All of these things that they were doing, they were doing sort of just out of mechanics, but not in fellowship with Christ. doesn't mean they've, they've fallen from grace. doesn't mean they're not saved, certainly. It just means that they're not in love with Jesus like they used to be. Where are you in your fellowship with the Lord? Where are you in your fellowship with Christ? I don't mean your relationship with the church. I don't mean your, your family matters. I don't mean your relationship with people you work with. But where are you in your fellowship with the Lord? Do you take time to spend in his presence? I say to the young people who are involved in Word of Life quiet times, is that something the program calls for, or are you fellowshipping with Jesus? If not, then you may be one of those susceptible people who, who grows up hearing some things, knowing the truth, but somebody comes along and offers you something that they say is better than just knowing Christ, and you fall for it. Do you take time for the Lord? Is your life centered around Him, or do you catch a few Bible verses before you fall asleep and you're not thinking clearly anyway? Or on the radio, you've got to, you've got to turn on and you, the radio you hear MacArthur or Swindoll or you put a, a tape in. I mean, that's fine, but that's not fellowship with Christ. We're talking about him. Is your goal to know him better and your ambition to be like him? If it is, then you won't consider religion. That's absurd. Why would you come down? I mean, I always say this. Once you've tasted steak, why would you go for grits? Sort of a homey illustration, probably a homely illustration, too. You see, people who, have, who are wrapped up and their, their lives are wrapped up in Christ, wrapped around spiritual pursuits, aren't restless for religion. Those are the people that religion appeals to. People who are restless, people who want something more. But these folks, if you follow Paul's example, they're satisfied with the Lord Jesus. They're not interested in other offers. They don't need any legalistic substitutes to try to convince them that things aren't good between God and them. They know the truth, and they know the Lord, and they fellowship with Him, and their, their fellowship is sweet, and they're satisfied. Even though there's a paradox, they're not satisfied in the sense that they want to press on and become more like Christ, but they are certainly satisfied with Christ. They don't want anything else. Those who fall into religion and who get confused about the basic issues of salvation are not growing Christians. And there's no reason why you shouldn't be growing. 
Let me put it this way. The way to protect yourself from legalism and religion is to be Christ-centered. But if you are self-centered, then religion is going to appeal to you. Why? Because religion is a self, it, it caters to the self. Religion says, this is what I can do for you. Religion says that if you, if you embrace me, you'll look good in the eyes of men. Not only will you feel good about yourself, but others will feel good about you. And wouldn't you like that? When others feel good about you, you want to feel good about yourself. You think I'm stretching that? Let's look at, at Matthew chapter 6. Religion is all about catering to man's needs for approval from his peers. In Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was on a little hill. We call it a mountain, but it was more like a hill. And uh, he was teaching his disciples the contrast between true righteousness and false righteousness of the Pharisees. And in chapter 6, verse 1, he begins by saying, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Listen, this, this takes in of the vast majority of evangelicals need to hear this. When therefore you give alms, do not, verse 2, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret and your father who is in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, and it literally should be on the broad avenues. That's not just, you know, little side streets, broad avenues. In order to be seen by men, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you go, when you pray rather, go into your inner room and, and when you shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will repay you. Now, do you see the contrast here between the religious Pharisees who did everything in the open to impress people and a believer, a disciple who has a genuine relationship with Christ, so he's content to have an internal and private love relationship with the Father. Do you see that? That's throughout this. The Pharisees do this openly, but you're to do it in secret. It's not that what the Pharisees were doing was wrong. It's right to pray. It's right to give alms. But it's not right to do it so that people applaud you. That's the real problem. There's a contrast here. Those who are into religion are into it uh, for a number of reasons, but one is because it makes them look good in the eyes of people. It makes them feel good about themselves too. Those who know Christ and those who are in fellowship with the Lord just privately go on with him. They don't have to tell people about what's going on. And I'm not talking about witnessing. Obviously, we're to tell people about the Lord and we're to share with others what God is doing with our, in our lives, but not in a, in a bragging type of a, of a self-centered way. Now, the reason you ought to imitate Paul's example of censoring your life around Christ and fellowshipping with him is because there are plenty of religionists ready to confuse you with their theological systems. Paul is saying, follow me because there are other people who want you to follow them. Now, you need to know about these other people because they're out there. What are they like? Well, let's look back in Philippians, and we'll look at verse 18. For many walk, and now he's giving us the reason why we should follow his example. For many walk, of whom I, I often told you, and now tell you even weeping. I'm, I'm crying over this. Probably stained parchment that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. What's the real truth about these people? They're enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, why did Paul 
call them that. Why do you say that about them? Because they deny the sufficiency of the cross. God has no answer to the sin problem apart from the cross. Michelle tells me that we had some uh, cult missionaries come to our door yesterday, and they are enemies of the cross. I was not there, but she took care of it. Enemies of the cross. Why? Because they deny the sufficiency of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And listen, they've been schooled to use the same language. They'll tell you they believe in Jesus. They'll tell you they believe the Bible. They'll tell you, yes, Christ died for our sins or words like that. But they are enemies of the cross because they deny the real issue and the real root problem is our sin. And the only answer that God has and has provided for that is the death of Jesus Christ. If the death of Christ can save you, then nothing can. Nothing can. Obedience to a religious code for salvation denies the sufficiency of, of Christ. You see, religion substitutes what pleases God, which is the supremacy in the person and work of Jesus Christ for what pleases man. Good works. Man's into good works. God says all your good works like filthy rags, all your righteousness like filthy rags to me. So what do these false teachers have to say about the cross? Pastor Steve will tell us in just a minute. Right now, I'd like to say welcome to those who have just tuned in. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve is planning a trip to the Holy Land in May, and he would like you to come along. Here he is with more information. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff from Verse by Verse here on WTBM. I want to tell you about an exciting opportunity to join me on a trip to Israel I'll be leading this May. We'll be visiting those sites in Israel where Jesus ministered, such places as Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee, the Mount of Beatitudes, the Mount of Olives, Jerusalem, and, and so many more sites. If you're interested in learning more about this tour, then you can call the following number and ask for more information. The number is 877-768-2784, extension one one. One. That's 877-768-2784, extension 111. The tour dates are May 5th through the 14th. I hope you can join us. One more time, that number is 877-768-2784, extension 111. Now let's get back to our class. There are a lot of people who say that the cross is not enough to save us. But the Bible says that anything we do to try to please God apart from faith in Christ is not just worthless, it is offensive to God. Well, what do they do with the cross? Have you ever wondered about that? What do they say about the cross, that they deny the sufficiency of the cross? Well, they'll say that the cross shows us that Jesus was a good man, a martyr. He, uh, he's, his sacrifice tells us how to live a good life. He's an example to us. He's an inspiration. Look at the cross and you'll be inspired to live like he did. Just love everybody. See, that's the kind of stuff that they do with the cross. And these people come across very self-righteous. They come across very good. They come across like they've really got everything together. But what's the truth about them? Now, I don't have a vendetta against, against it. I'm not, I'm not uh, speaking of personal vengeance if I sound hard. I'm just telling you the spirit of, and tone of the Word of God because look at what verse 19 says about them. You need to know the truth about these people who want to wrap you up into false uh, 
religion. Verse 19, whose end is destruction. Whose end is destruction. By rejecting the cross of Christ, they reject the only means that God has provided for salvation. They have no prospect except the doom that awaits unsaved people. Now, I want to just explain something. You read words like this in the Bible about destruction, and if you don't know, you may interpret this to mean that once a person dies who doesn't know Christ, they are annihilated. That's the end of them. That is not true. The word destruction does not mean annihilation or that they'll cease to exist. The word refers to an everlasting state of torment and death. It means spiritual ruin, continual and eternal separation from God. And I want to show this to you. Matthew chapter 25. You don't need to turn there, but you ought to write this down. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. Now, this is not the same word that's used, but it is the same concept. Matthew 25, verse 46. Jesus said, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life, meaning those who are righteous because of Christ. He speaks of eternal punishment contrasted with eternal life. Jesus made it very clear. But I want to show you where the word is found so you can see this. In John chapter 17, Jesus is speaking in his high priestly prayer just before he went back to be with the Father. And he says in verse 12, Father, while I was with them, I was keeping them in thy name, which thou hast given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition. That is, he's talking about Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. The word perdition, that's translated at least in my Bible, my version, perdition, is the same word destruction. And what he means by this is that Judas was a child of Satan. He's a son of destruction. Therefore, he would suffer the loss of of blessedness in the future state while suffering eternal misery. The Bible speaks of torment. The Bible does not speak of when you die, it ends. It does not end for anybody. The question is, where will you spend eternity and in what state will you spend it in? Will you spend it in torment or will you spend it in fellowship and joy with the Lord Jesus Christ? So he says in verse 19, whose end is destruction. Then he says, whose God is their appetite. Literally, it means whose God is their belly, whose God is their stomach. What do you mean by this? Now, this may have reference to their emphasis on the Old Testament dietary laws. In other words, they made a God out of what they could eat or what they could not eat, kosher foods and so forth. But more likely, Paul is, is referring, he's broadening it to mean that these, are, these people are ruled by their own fleshly appetites and their own desires as opposed to, to someone uh, like him who he said, follow my example, I want to I, I submit to Christ's lordship not be ruled by my own desires. Then he says, another description, whose glory is in their shame. Now this puzzles a lot of commentators. What was the one thing, though, that the Judaizers prided themselves on? Circumcision. Circumcision. Paul says in verse 2, they're the false circumcision. They prided themselves on circumcision because they felt that was the initial uh, right into being a Jew. Paul says, in essence, that these men glory in their private parts. I think that's what he's saying. Their big thing is circumcision. Paul's saying they glory in their shame. You say, well, what's so shameful about that? In light of the, if you take away its religious uh, significance, and you have to when you take it away from Old Testament Israel, they boasted about something they should have been embarrassed about because in the biblical world, nakedness was connected with shame. In fact, that's one of the reasons, that's a prime reason why, why uh, Noah uh, was involved in making a curse on Canaan. Well, it was Ham who saw the nakedness of his father. So I think what he's saying is they glory in their private parts. 
They ought to be embarrassed about this, but they're not. Not only that, he says, who set their minds on earthly, on earthly things. These men were earthly minded because they were holding on to the earthly rituals and traditions and religious rules. Some that had been set for earthly people called Israel, others that they just sort of made up. Now, Paul's point in verses 17 through 19 is that if you keep your eyes on Christ and fellowship with him and pursue Christ likeness and spiritual goals, you won't be interested in religion. You won't gravitate towards that or any error, any system out to confuse you. Now, let me, let me say what I wanted to say in terms of, of application about the religion of today, which is psychology and, and therapy. Once again, I want you to understand, I am not referring to biblical counselors, and I, I recommend biblical counselors. I send people to biblical counselors, those good people who will tell you about sin, and those people who will tell you what God wants you to do. What I am growing very, very concerned about are counselors who tell us that the only road to recovery is years of therapy rather than obedience to the clear truths of Scripture. In a recent Christian magazine, one editorial told about a woman who telephoned, this true story, telephoned a Christian radio broadcast that offers live counseling to its callers. Now, this woman called up and she said she had a sexual problem. And she said that she felt powerless to change this problem, and uh, she wants to know what she should do. Now, the counselor suggested, and this is Christian radio, uh, this is not a group that claims to be secular, but the counselor suggested that her conduct was the result of wounds inflicted by a passive father and an overbearing mother. And he said, and I quote, there is no simple road to recovery. Your problem won't go away. It's an addiction, and these things usually require extended counseling. You will probably need years and years of therapy to overcome your need for illicit sex. Now, you say, what has this got to do with Philippians? Where are you in your thinking? Well, the new religion and renew, the new religious threat to the church today is man-centered psychology that claims to be able to make you a better person to sanctify you through therapy, to help you understand yourself better, to get you back in touch with your feelings. That's the language they use. That you are dysfunctional without them. You need to understand and go back in your past and know what makes you tick. Know why you're like you are. Listen, I know why I'm like I am, and I've got real uh, problems with that, but that's not going to give me a solution. The solution is, what do I do about it? This religion is saying, if you don't see an analyst regularly, you can't function as you should. Now, all of us struggle with, with our backgrounds and sin and its consequences, but the answer isn't to get in touch with your feelings or look inside your heart. In fact, the Bible says the heart's going to deceive you. In fact, I don't want to know all these things about myself. It's too depressing. The woman with the sexual problem didn't need a lesson on her parents. You know what she needed to hear? Flee immorality. Paul didn't say you need years of therapy. Paul said flee immorality. Paul said walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul didn't say you need to see me once a week and pay me a lot of money and uh, maybe I can help you by delving into your past. Knowing your past is not going to tell you the solution to how you deal with your problem. Fellowship with Christ is still the cure to drifting off into some other system to make you more sanctified. You already have what you need to be complete. 
a complete person. You have the Lord Jesus Christ, and the only and only the Spirit of God can give you victory over the sin, over sin and flesh. Fellowship with Christ, and you'll have the answers to your problems and struggles. When we spend time with Christ and read His Word, He will make clear to us what our issues really are and how we can resolve them. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff will have more on this subject when we return with the next verse by verse. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These daily radio Bible classes are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you. If you would like to listen again to today's program, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can also find previous classes on the archives page. That's versebyverseradio.org. To hear the entire message from which today's class came, you can order a CD or cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we'll call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. If you found out that you had just one more day to live, would you make changes in how you live? Pastor Steve will consider that question next time on Verse by Verse as we wrap up this study of Philippians chapter 3. I hope to see you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.